Now, three, two, one, go. Desaparecidos. Desaparecidos. Let's get all the jokes out. Despacito. Despacito. This is the... alone in the apocalypse. Despacito in the apocalypse. Gotta Try and go rhyme. Forage food from the hotel. Despacito. <laughs> gonna go to the mining town, maybe. I have a theory that's why I survived, because I was underground <laughs> when it happened. Despacito. I just, that's the whole plot, by the way. Nice. That, that is a, basically it. It's also Desapetositos. Yeah. That was a good tune you got going. Thank you. The, the novelization of Despacito by H.G. Wells. Uh, <laughs> dropping a new book after a while. But I know. I know. Yeah. No, we joke no, around. We have yeah. fun. <laughs> We're just cracking. <laughs> you know, we, we, not only do we crack spines, we crack jokes. <laughs> <laughs> your choice you are, paul you are cracking me up <laughs> yeah. um hey everybody yes hey it, it's spine crackers again here we are hey everybody my name is gabe key gabe gabe i'm not gonna tell you my last name <laughs> <laughs> Run through the alphabet and you'll find him because you can I, so you can much. find it. It's pretty I bet you can find me pretty easy. <laughs> I'm out there. My I use is... my first name for everything. Yeah, I know. You're I know. Twitter and everything. You have no shame. You have no skeletons in your closet. It's because you have nothing to lose. It's like your job's just gonna be automated in a couple years anyway, and it doesn't matter. Fuck yeah, like, yeah. Who are they gonna tell on you? Yeah, who gonna tell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Your mom, uh, they're just going to tell your mom, like Matt said a mean thing on the podcast. <laughs> your mom just, your mom just cancels you. Oh my God. My mom cancels me. She already tried. She already canceled me because she was so excited about um, Kamala. And I was already like, I don't give a shit. And she was Dude. like, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was canceled. Matt, how yeah. dare you? And I am Paul. I am Paul Chris. Uh, I am Paul. <laughs> Paul. Paul three names. You can just call him Paul three names. Yeah. Paulie Paulie three names. Paulie three names. <laughs> and I oddly enough, I only have three fingers also, which is weird. It's crazy. Yeah. What are, what are the what are the odds? Yeah. Uh, what are we reading, Paul? We're reading my pick. Uh <laughs> It's called Disapatio. <laughs> HG The Vanishing by they... Guido Guido Morcelli. Guido. <laughs> by by Juan Guido. <laughs> Guido Morcelli. He's a uh he's a, a an Italian author from like the 60s to 70s I think is when he wrote most of his work. Uh all of his essays and novels were were uh, published after his death, posthumously. 
posthumously by suicide um, right if i'm not mistaken yeah he committed suicide after this after writing this book this is his last book actually death by uh, self did, yep self-inflicted murder um, he did blast his head right he blasted <laughs> i don't i don't actually know how he killed himself but right is that yeah. what you read i think that's right self-murder by gun yeah uh, <laughs> uh well yeah i i picked this book basically it was like an off-the-shelf pick that's how i would describe it i you know we have to we have to pick our books ahead of time so we uh can read them on time and buy them on time and i kind of panicked with this one to be honest <laughs> it was like i was on kindle i was on the kindle store on the kindle app and i found it and i was like all right it has nine stars and they're all or nine reviews and it's like a five it's a five bagger on kindle and cool. uh it i read like two pages and i was like this sounds pretty good and wow only nine reviews it's pretty obscure so i was like that'll fit in with my two reader bros who love obscure fiction maybe they'll like it brah, brah. maybe i will too <laughs> bro so bro let me get why. that let me get that fucking obscure fiction bro although i'm curious now to know because this is uh new york review of books again right yes we which i think i love them i love new york review books uh, and what I do like, you mean again? What did we? What did? What have we read? I just. I'm wondering how how much. Uh, I, I'm just wondering how many. Like, if there starts to like, uh, become a, you know a pattern of, of like, what ratios of imprints are we reading? Uh, what else have we read that was this? That was New York Review of Books. Gene Stafford, I think. Yeah, but that uh, what we didn't even record that. That was a long time ago. Oh, uh, maybe I'm throwing it back also to like pre, like just when we were talking without <laughs> recording. But like, I'm trying to think. Pre pod. It's not overwhelming. I just think uh, the the small majority here is is New York Review of Books. I don't know. What's so if it is, what's the like? What's your thought? Even if it was, like, I'm just curious about what's the what made you what like why what made you think that or what why that oh, pop into your head? Just like in a pinch, it's a it's an imprint that I trust. So oh yeah, I will be I will be more comfortable like choosing like a New Directions paperback or like a New York Review of Books print just if i am like fuck and i need yeah i think um actually i think matt now that you mentioned i think dirty snow was in the year review books uh edition yeah Mm -hmm. but i think that one might be out of print or going out or uh i know some i know some of the early some of the simonon new york review that one's out of print a lot of his are out of print that they released yeah penguins doing all penguins doing all the um my gray novels and then a lot of his other stuff that new york review books did is out of print now damn so get that coffee so matt if 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 it says new york review of books you're just like i live in new york city i'm an intellectual so i'm gonna buy this book is that what you're saying of course he doesn't live in new york city anymore (laughs) no i stopped that stop when it comes to that i know they're kind of like a criterion collection but you know, whatever. I'm a yeah. yeah I, I am kind of a sucker in the way you describe me as. Yeah, I mean, if it was like the Baton Rouge like display of books, you'd be like, "Fuck that! I'm going to." New York. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> that narrow me down like I have beef with Baton Rouge. 
I mean, the place that, or no, I was, fuck, I almost did a a horrible gaffe, and I I thought you meant Boca Raton, which I hate. Whoa. (laughs) Those are very different. Way different. Yeah. So what the hell is this book about, Paul? Or, I mean, I think, I I don't have anything else to say about new review books, except, uh, yeah, they're pretty good. I, I don't know if they're like the Criterion Collection. I guess they are. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how people feel about them. I just started. I like their covers, which is like a big criterion mm-hmm. kind of like accolade that they get. And I'm just like, ooh, That's true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, one one reason I picked this book is I thought it had a sweet cover. That was actually very, it's really it sim- similar to uh, the Gene Stafford and the Simonon covers. So I thought the cover was kind of whatever. The void, <laughs> the, hu- the human silhouette void. How is it similar to any of those covers? Well, yeah, I don't know what you mean. Like, Here's, isn't it just like a, a rectangle? That's uh, that's literally all of the New York Review of Books. That's that, that's just their graphic design. Yeah, they have this. I did, see, I didn't know that. Well, you're at, you're talking like I should know that. I don't know. I mean, I'm on a book I'm on a book podcast, and I should, probably should know that, but I didn't know that. It, no, yeah, that's they, that's like pretty much what they do. They just do the name and the thing and in, in the square on on whatever. Yeah, they're like well, the, I think the branding is like that format, yeah. but then just like they they usually choose some sort of like painting and just put it behind it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's still good. It's still good design either way. Yeah, it makes me think that this this book is good. I think that's how they fucking actually, get you. I feel like this book yeah, actually kind of me. Uh, uh, melds some other books that we liked, like the topics kind of swirl around in this one a bit in this weird mixture, I think, actually. Where yeah, I have, in a weird way, a lot to say about this book. Yeah? I actually, I do too, even though I did not like it at all. But I have a lot Spoilers, to say Spoilers, bro. Whoa, dude. <laughs> so, Matt, Matt, what specifically do you mean? Just like, um, again, this is going to reference maybe like like other stuff that we we didn't record as a podcast per se, but like other books we've read. Like, you know, just... um there's the there is the uh our sort of half joking Umisville again comparison uh and get ready for like, some heavy Umisville talk this episode <laughs> and then there's uh yeah. there's a lot of like existential questions like that kind of i don't know kind of remind me a bit of, a little bit of dirty snow a lot of like the box man uh you know i, I yeah see i, I would actually say that i i, I would actually say that it it uh it could have done what dirty snow did or moon palace but it, it like totally it took a different how, how okay so? okay I, I feel like we're giving i feel like we're giving a little bit of a confusing the thing like what okay what's what is this book about what's the premise of the book okay what, yeah what, I mean, what are some things yeah, that exactly. happen in it because i don't want people to think that we're talking about fucking moon palace box like it's not really like those in any way it's not a medley of, in yeah. terms of what happens yeah, okay. Well, I mean, the basic plot line, uh, plot outline is the main character who is unnamed um, finds himself coming to grips with the fact that everyone is in on Earth has basically disappeared in the, in the realm of like the leftovers. But it's instead of just like some people being left on Earth, it's just this guy, which he doesn't really come to grips or understand that completely until, I mean, he doesn't really totally understand. Un- understand that until towards the end he he keeps searching for people that could possibly be out there like him but uh basically everyone just disappears on 
June 2nd, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes place in some sort of alternate reality of uh, like the 70s. Um, it doesn't specifically say that, but in the foreword, you learn that it was probably like around 1977 or something like that, I think. Um, but, you know, like there's de- like the the main city that he tries to like explore for people um, is like the the hub of the world at this point in this alternate reality. It's called like the Golden City. Um, it's basically like the New York of Europe. It takes place in Europe for the most part. Chrysopolis. Uh, and, and it's Chrysopolis. And it's told in a, a basically like a journal-like way, I would say. Um, it's not specifically like journal entries, but it's it's written in in a, in a way that is is like someone writing a journal about their experience of being the last person left uh, on Earth, and it basically goes through his initial experience of realizing that everyone is gone around him, and it goes through his like initial routine of trying to just like go out in the world and like find people or just realize he just basically realizes that there's no one there and he he ends up calling a lot of places and no one's picking up he call he calls people you know from different countries from different continents and no one's picking up sometimes an answering machine will pick up and they'll be like oh my god there's an actual person and then it's just an answering machine um but the majority, I would say, of the book is uh, a lot of flashbacks to his actual life when people were around, and kind of having like these philosophical arguments or discussions with himself and past characters. Um, but I, I, maybe a quarter of the of the book is like actual experiences that he's having in the moment, or actual experiences he's reminiscing about in terms of like past lovers or past. Uh, like one one of the other characters is a psychiatrist, and he ends up kind of like obsessing over him towards the end. But he he has a few major flashbacks to him and debates with him about life and death and philosophical things and uh that's basically it it's i mean he he ends up going to a more remote little town in the mountains and uh exploring other areas of the country trying to find people and i i would say that's the general basic outline of the plot yep yeah, yeah, the only the only thing that I would add it, that I think is relevant is that um, the the we, the first one of the first flashbacks we get to sort of what he was doing kind of at the moment he call he just calls it the event uh, through the book, um, and we 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 learn pretty early on that he was in a in a cave like with the intention of killing himself, um, like and then he sort of decided not to for whatever reason sort of sort of like just getting distracted and then and then bored and then leaving um (laughs) and when he comes out of the cave everyone has disappeared from this reality 
But this isn't this after an attempt to shoot himself prior to the events of June second? Uh, that also is botched. That isn't that what leads him? I am I because chronology is a little, as you would guess, like it gets a little conflated as this man's kind of interiority just sort of calls the shots and and you know creates a a, a strange sense of personal reality. So like. Yeah, he tried to kill himself, which is how he met Karpinski initially, right? And got I, committed. Yep, I believe so. Okay, just trying to get that I, straight. I, I think it's again, like you said, Matt. There's some, um, and I would say one of the major kind of themes of the book is like time and our ex, our subjective experience of time and kind of how you know what what does it mean, like like. He sort of kind of kind of lands on this view that like time is like basically social and that like just yeah. when, when he was this sort of the only sentient not the only sentient there's still animals and things but he's the only sort of human being that experiences self-conscious yeah something. exactly yeah self-conscious yeah um that experiences time in that way time kind of becomes not a thing anymore and so there's definitely i think that the temporality of some of the stuff is definitely hard to like pinned down because it's a mix of current things happening flashbacks and him his own sort of creations in his head and and then dreams and stuff so it's it's yeah you're right it's definitely a little slippery and it's it's funny because like you know it's a guy who through the granting of a, a kind of almost a wish of his to be alone and to be like to, to, to be left alone and to not have to deal with the fucking like prying eyes and subjective thoughts of the other people in the world. Um, yeah. I mean, he described, he described, sorry, uh, he, no, he describes, going. he describes people as how he thinks of like rats and mosquitoes. Like, and I think that's a very, uh, probably very accurate view of how the author actually felt about people too. He was a very isolated individual. Um, yeah what he almost does though in this book is like start to reckon with some of the more specious reasons for why he might attach like intellectual and ideological and philosophical arguments for misanthropy or like uh i know eco-fascism is another thing that kind of comes into yeah i definitely want to talk about that at some point uh and i would say you know this book does a kind of at least a decent job of like having a person in conflict and like reckoning occasionally with uh the shortcomings of those or the or again the 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 super contextual uh relevance of some of those thoughts and then being like fuck i can i only by this act do i see that i'm wrong now that there's literally no one on earth i'm the last man yes you know a kind of heavy-handed uh, metaphor in its own right for a certain philosophical inquiry about the self. Yeah, it's sort very of very heavy-handed. Very heavy-handed. <laughs> very heavy-handed. But he says it's heavy-handed well, to himself. Right. I, I, like- I also felt that's the, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is that I felt like the book. I mean, I think heavy-handed in some ways is right, but in other ways not. Like, there's definitely a lot of like, you know, name dropping and theory dropping and kind of like. But it's, I don't know, I feel like it's generally like done sort of tongue in cheek almost and also kind of like, you know, 
it's also undermined in various ways by other things that happen either immediately or uh, elsewhere in the book. Like, I feel like the, I feel like the book is very like meta. It's very self-aware of, of itself, self-aware of itself. There it is. Whoa. Um, allow <laughs> myself to introduce <laughs> myself. Myself. <laughs> Squid pro quo. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I feel like there's a, I, there, I was, I found myself writing in the margins a number on a number of occasions, like that, that there was, it's sort of meta, meta commentary on its, on what it's doing. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would agree, but I, I just want to point out, I, I wrote down a few, maybe like half or a third of the name drops in my notes that always felt to just be like name drops for the sake of, I know who these people are and. It was, uh, let me just name a few of them. Let Jimmy it rip. Freud, Carl Jung, Marxism, various Latin texts in other languages besides Latin, everywhere. Uh, he drops Hegel, Descartes, Dovskyevsky, Shakespeare. Uh, in a very just like, I thought. Durkheim, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of Durkheim at the beginning. Yeah, Emil Durkheim, Leibniz, uh, fucking Herbert Marcuse. Yep. Yeah. And the writer, reading about the writer, he's described as being just a very like avid reader of these sort of texts. Well, so it was it was influencing his writing style and his writing approach a lot. But I just. Well, Paul, did you read the did you read the intro or whatever like the the? No, I'm against. I read like half of it, and then I was like, I'm against four words. Well, I think that there was there was a little concession to your sense of frustration, which is like annoyingly over cultivated was how he was described as a writer, <laughs> or at least this particular protagonist. You what, know, where what kind of a position is that? You're against four words. <laughs> well, in terms of the podcast, I don't I don't I want to read I want to read the text without reading a foreword about what I'm reading about. Yeah, like, you read it, you read it after, you go back and read it afterwards. Yeah, but even I would I would rather read it after the podcast because I would anxiety like anxiety of influence. Opinion. Yeah, I mean, I would if I was just reading a book by myself, I would read it after the book. But if I'm going on the podcast, I don't want to read it. All right, okay, fair enough. I Paul, I'm fucking feel you a little. I still read them, but like I worry that I'm dumb. I'm a dummy enough to like just be affected by the last strong opinion I heard, and just be like, yeah, of course, fucking correct. Yeah, like. <laughs> Yeah, it, it makes me lazy to read them because I'll be like, oh, this is what that book's about. And I, I just don't want to be there. I'd, ra I'd rather stumble in the dark than just grasp onto someone, something someone wrote in the forward. So you guys are basically both Donald Trump, you're saying. <laughs> Whoa, bro. Whoa, dude. You come at our deplatformed king. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just mean that, that, that exactly what you said, Matt, that was something a lot of people said about Trump. He just believes the last opinion someone expressed strongly to him. True, but that's true of uh, uh, a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. I roll myself yeah. into that. Although I fight it, I try to. Okay, anyway, so we're talking, so in the, in, it is noted in the introduction, right, that, that, yeah, this main character is a little like, I don't know what the term is, but yeah. He's overread almost. Or, he's like, yeah. That's not a thing. We can, I can't. I can't sign off on that with the, with what we're doing. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. No one is ever overread. No, come on. Uh, come but, on now. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, definitely sort of, you know, he's very concerned with trying to find, like, for whatever experience he's having or whatever, whatever thing he's doing at the time, he's very concerned with finding, like, the appropriate like the most applicable theory or philosophical approach to whatever he's doing at any given moment. So, you know, I'm yeah rating this hotel for food. What, what would, what's the utilitarian calculation of that? You know, whatever, like that, you know, just that sort of thing. Yeah. He reminded me of the character from Goodwill hunting in the bar where Matt Damon is talking like the, the blonde guy with long hair. And uh, he's yeah. just like a douchey Harvard student. He reminded me of that guy. Like if that if that guy was the last person on earth. But if that guy was also like deep into self-inquiry to the point that he wanted to kill himself, <laughs> which is what he yeah. is not is like the difference, I would say. Because like, honestly, I think yeah. all the name drops work in a sense to like, it's he's kind of deriding a lot of this stuff as being kind of useless in the face of like just grand mysteries or, or or massive traumatic events. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the, um, and we can talk about whether this point is in and of itself kind of pompous or whatever on Morselli's part. But I think part of the reason he writes this guy the way that he does is to sort of make the point that like, when you're in a situation, like, okay i shouldn't say when you're in a situation like this because nobody is ever in a situation like this but like that that all of the sort of um work and thought that people have put into science and philosophy and all that like ultimately is sort of cosmically cosmically pointless right and then that when you find yourself in certain sorts of situations it's not gonna offer you any kind of comfort or or aid yeah, and I think that was my general point uh, standpoint by the end of it too. Is that like all of this information he concocted and acquired over his life about various philosophies and all the readings he he had done, he still found himself like kind of going mad towards the end. Um, and he was he was like the 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 only thing he really was left to do with himself was kind of sit and think about you know past debates past philosophies he thought of and it really got him nowhere in this situation uh he ended up like towards the end discovering that he liked wearing women's clothing more than men's clothing which i thought was hilarious and also very like if no one's left the, on the earth you probably would wear a dress because it's probably a lot more freeing to wear a dress <laughs> um those are some of my favorite moments probably um i thought it was ahead. dotted with like creepy but like poignant moments like Definitely. when he started when he starts putting mannequins around and weighing them in the pool to like pretend that he has like friends and like simulate yeah like that shit actually creeped me out like i remember being like ugh like maybe there could have been a couple more moments of of that type of thing but but yeah th there were still some like pretty classic just like dystopian sci-fi kind of moments yeah absolutely i thought there were some really well written and like you said very very eerie 
and like a lot like most of the book takes place it seems like in the winter like there's snow coming down or or, mm -hmm. or late winters or early spring maybe it seems like it's because well i guess what is it june 2nd they all disappear so i don't know i guess they live up in the mountains and it's snowing so uh but but there's some very like well-written atmospheric stuff describing him in the city and in the hotel and uh just kind of his fear and of the eeriness of it all did anyone watch that will forte tv show the last man on earth i have not but i saw like th four episodes of the first season and i did not like it okay but not even touching on anything kind of like what's going on in here at all like well, that one that they, I mean, they pretty much immediately introduce other people that have survived in that wow. show. So it's really not like there's, there's, it's really not the last man on earth. Well, okay. So I, I want to reel it back really quick. Cause Paul, you, you, you coined the term soft fiction for this book. And it also applies to Humesville. Yep. And, uh, I, I knew that there was something uh, out there that was kind of what you meant, and I found it. It's it's literally called philosophical fiction, and it's also, uh, I mean, like people like Reza Nagaristani do like things called like theory fiction, but like philosophical fiction, or I think more commonly known as the novel of ideas, which uh, just on uh, on Wikipedia is just. Uh, refers to the class of works of fiction which devote a significant portion of their content to the sorts of questions normally addressed in philosophy. These might explore any facet of the human condition, including the function and role of a society, the nature of motivation of human acts, the purpose of life, ethics or morals, the role of art in human lives, the role of experience or reason in the development of knowledge, whether there exists free will or any other topic of philosophical interest. Okay, well, I, I agree that this book falls into that category, but I, I would say that lathe of heaven would be more of a philosophical fiction novel than this book I it gets think, a shout I out think... does it yep yeah, yeah. in the foreword yep oh. okay I didn't and and another book that we read no, i'm just saying you're dead on it gets a, it, it literally gets a shout out well I, I just to just to make my term you know <laughs> uh give more give more like you know heat to it i just think that uh soft fiction applies more to this book than it would be to Lathe of Heaven because Lathe of Heaven still has like a very like it's still a plot to it you can there's still a lot that happens within the novel that has these philosophical ideas mixed in but I feel like this book had an emphasis on philosophical ideas and the plot and what was actually happening was actually like a second thought most of the time when like these great like I, a lot of the descriptions i thought were really awesome when they came about but they were so few and far between that i almost felt like the author was like oh yeah i'm writing a fiction novel i should probably write more about what is actually happening to this character in the moment so like if the narrative is a spine these are kind of invertebrate novels and therefore squishy and soft, soft. Is that is that that sounds I like that analogy. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I actually yeah. disagree that this book spent a lot of time on philosophy. It dropped some names and ideas, but it's not like there was like sustained 
inquiry into one thing at a time in the way that like some of the other stuff that we've been talking about like does um, what yeah i don't i i i, I completely <laughs> disagree with that analysis and I, i'm not saying well, i'm not saying that i'm not saying that there's like a particularly strong narrative or or like plot here either there's not um but i i think it's to me it, it was more about like what's sort of subjectively going on inside this person's head as they go through this fucking like impossibly bizarre experience i i found it to be like floundering between a lot of different philosophical ideas like yeah. he was just like he was just that's that's my point yeah and i think that why does that discount it from being a, a philosophical fiction or a soft fiction novel like well was, i'm not saying it was I, focused on those i actually think it is i like i think soft fiction is fine and i think this might fall into that but i would certainly say it's not like theory fiction or anything like like when i think about theory fiction or or like a something that's like more philosophical it's like here's a point and i'm gonna like even in a roundabout sort of you know fiction driven way like argue for a point and i have like some specific you know like claim that i want to make and defend and i don't think this book is really engaged in that like there's a few things yeah that that it brings up here and there and some of them are like more or less consistent but um i don't i don't think it's like a i don't think there's i don't think there's any philosophical argumentation in the book well and that's why i discount it and like and that's why i think even though i hate Hume's will i give Hume's will more props than this book because i i thought that this i thought the author was kind of like regurgitating philosophical ideas that he has read in various books just to put them in the book to make himself sound smart i think you just hate philosophy <laughs> and i also the other I thing I'll, the other thing i want to say and then i'll let matt i know matt has something on the tip of his tongue but like not much i, I guess i i just sort of like where is this like ascription of motive to the author coming from like what who who would he be trying to impress and then he kills himself as soon as he finishes writing this. Like, I feel like that's a, a, a kind of a sort of a bizarre way of like interpreting a text. Like he he put these these he referenced some philosophical theories to 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 sound smart. Like to who? To anyone? I don't know. He he. I mean, I don't want to psychoanalyze him too much, but I I thought he came across as kind of like a intellectual narcissist someone who just like puts all their value on how much they know about various philosophical people and just like literary works and stuff and i, I just found it pretty like pompous of him just well, to be but like, I, I but i guess i would what, what it feels like you're making the leap a little too quickly from a character that he's writing in the book to his own brain I, I just I found it to be very autobiographical, especially after reading about him. I thought and you know, I did read a couple articles about the book. I didn't read the foreword, but I read a couple articles that said that it was kind of like an autobiographical character that he was writing about. So that's why I made the leap. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's kind of a mixture of, of the two. Like, um, yeah, I, I, he, he was kind of like a failed literary personage who tried to live in the big city and ended up retreating and being a little bit of a, you know, kind of a misanthrope who became concerned with like population and, and uh, the purity of the earth and this kind of stuff. But at the same time, I mean, you talk about narcissism and I think this is a very, very much concerned with something incredibly similar, which is solipsism, which gets thrown around a bunch, the word, you know, which is, is definitely not painted in a positive light and is something that he has to kind of like actually contend with. Again, he kind of like he his very character is one who is yeah like throwing these ideas around. But I think the very fact that like they're the the names and the little reference drops to like these eminent intellects uh, are coming so fast and thick and not particularly coherently or burrowing into any one point for very long is a sign of him uh, his like kind of superficial use for them as like armor to a grander truth and like that truth is is largely this sort of um armor against having to deal with some of the stuff that starts to emerge about how he feels about human beings where he kind of grudgingly has to admit you know that he kind of wishes people were were back <laughs> uh i will say i don't know exactly what the takeaway might be it does it is a very depressing novel feels written by someone who put a gun into their mouth by the end of it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah right <laughs> it definitely does yeah i mean i think uh you know um uh, i i do think so maybe we should talk a little bit about the like i think one of the you know and you just mentioned it matt one of the points if there is one i mean i think part of what he's doing at, at these theories is like trying to find to justifications for like you know part he goes through this sort of what I would consider to be like a natural process. Like why, why am I the only person that's still here? Right? Like he tries to like sort of use his powers of reason to like deduce why he's the only person that fucking survives. And he like serves as like, okay, well maybe it was cause I was just in a cave and like something came and got everybody who was on the surface or in a house or whatever and left. And he was like, okay, so if I survived cause I was in a cave there were must have been other people in caves at the time, and so maybe they survived. And then he goes to this mining town, sort of uh, uh, in you know ways away, and no one's there, and that kind of fails. And yeah, he kind of it's he's just sort of like slowly realizing that none of these there's nothing that can help him kind of make sense of this event or his place in the world now. Um, and I think if there's a if there's one kind of thread or point maybe that Marcelli is trying to make it may be the kind of eco-fascist point um so maybe we should talk about that a little bit because I think that was something that came up definitely enough times for me to be like it's a thing and and also like the 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 like um like you said the kind of the feel that he's just kind of like bouncing around and like grasping at these people I I think there's like two kind of like main uh types of like people he's grabbing from that he kind of bounces between which is like uh you know these anthropological and, and scientific minds what that he kind of uses to reference how he's inquiring about what the fuck happened 
for instance, being like, okay, like perhaps I was in a cave and the common instance is the cave and blah, blah, blah. And then also at the same time trying to wrestle with what if I'm, I am alone and I won't ever get the answer. And therefore the more like kind of, I, I would say metaphysical thinkers and, and how to like regard himself and his experience and like that, those feel like the right. Is that kind of? I don't know if you guys got that vibe, but like, those are the two people he's bouncing between. Yeah, and and then I and then I also think there's the kind of like sort of re recognition, and you sort of su su suggested this a little bit earlier, Matt, that like he actually is missing human contact. Like he sort of has some fondness for uh, like his. I don't know if they were his like. Uh, servants or whatever the people he lived with that helped him like just or, or were they just his neighbors okay yeah. i guess for some reason i thought that they had like a professional relationship or or and then of course karpinski right his psychiatrist slash like friend in his mind sort of becomes this character that he's like constantly returning to in his head and like sort of longing longing for in a in a kind of like i spoiler alert i would argue like in semi-sexual romantic way um yeah it's like his one friend it's like the one person yeah. he actually looks fondly back on and he's kind of becomes a ghost that he tries to manifest through yep. his memory yep i i didn't think of him as like a, a romantic longing i thought i thought he had enough like romantic longings with his ex Henrietta mm -hmm. um I thought he I thought he looked at the psychiatrist more as like a intellectual equivalent that he was missing like missing debate missing some sort of argument argumentative relationship with somebody but of course like, who could help him out yeah and and he he has this dream or he hears Karpinski's voice at one point saying you know come to this place and, and I'll be there and you can see me and he goes and he's not there and he he kind of that I think is where he sort of turns the corner into like really falling kind of mentally apart right yeah but it's Karpinski that he hears not not anybody else and he's sort of chasing this memory and this this concept of this person around it seems like yeah i think i don't know i was i was psycho psychoanalyzing him a bit and uh he seemed to be the type of person that like didn't really ever love anybody like he didn't really love his exes even though he missed them um i think he what he valued most about life was was this like philosophical rhetoric that he liked engaging in and that's why he was drawn to Karpinski well he he's like he's like the kind of misanthrope who's like almost succeeded in divorcing himself fully and now has to like actually reckon with what that is like I, that feels like the kind of you know the uh what the like situation of the book is meant to really put to the test and I think the autobiographical element of it is probably that Morselli, it seems, was kind of of a mind of 
fucking hating people and 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 kind of regarding civilization as as innately corrupt, etc. But also having probably these foreboding feelings of like, you know, what what the like also like I'm you know because he's if he's depressed and he kills himself, he's like you know the, the flip side is like I'm a piece of shit. Like what do I know? I'm could always be wrong, and I am wrong probably. And so like the book feels more like that. Like do like I'm a misanthrope. I fucking hate people. I just want to be alone. And then like, do I actually think that? What would that look like? Yeah, I think in in some ways it's it's a sort of like extended thought experiment about like what. Yeah, do do I actually hate people? What would I yeah. can could I actually live this <laughs> live this uh, uh, reality out if it's carried to its sort of like conclusion? So maybe that's like the main philosophical thrust of the book is it's a thought experiment on that sort of question, like. What is mis- what does misan- misanthropy actually look like in practice? And then like all these people that he's that he's he's throwing out all these thinkers, it, it it feels like someone throwing up, like someone who's like been poisoned by like years and years of their own attempts to rationalize or create some kind of argumentative like fortress to the notion that people are shit and that he's he doesn't need anybody. So it's like an emetic kind of almost vibe. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like the way you put that. Um, I just wanted to read a few because I actually feel like some of the some of the best writing in the book is when he's describing sort of nature and uh, like nature kind of returning and the earth sort of, you know, healing itself as it were in the sort of like eco like lexicon. Um, so this is on uh, on thirty nine. Uh, in in the physical copy and then I want to read something on 44 or the next page also Um, so it says uh, without seeking it I found proof that the event is not an illusion not just my own invention a family of chamois goats is walking along the tracks two females a male and kids they've come down from the mountains something that's never happened before in human memory for that matter I've seen other good omens too the birds are making an unholy racket and their numbers have grown especially the nocturnal species that have come back in droves, which pleases me because I've always appreciated their musical talents. Owls of all kinds, wood, tawny, long-eared, little, their instincts tell them something they certainly never expected. The great enemy has withdrawn. The (laughs) air is clear of smoke and fumes. The earth no longer stinks or quakes with terrible noises. Humans, you want to fight pollution? Simple, eliminate the polluting breed. Yeah. So it's pretty like, you know, and it, it's interesting because in those moments, it's like some of the night, some of the like nicest writing that he does, like about nature and that, that, and then he just, you know, lands at this like hideous conclusion. <laughs> just, yeah. It's just like the multicolored birds flourished and bred and sung their beautiful inter, you know, counter mezzo and mezzo songs into the grudges because of the fucking disgusting fucking dirt apes we're finally fucking stomped out (laughs) the skunk apes we're all just skunk apes fucking big tumescent Um, brain fucking just i do and but i mean i do think and this is like one of the difficulties with a lot of because there are you know maybe i i'm gonna get accused of being ecofash i do get accused of that sometimes but there are some interesting points, I think, in general, like made. It's I, I do I don't think it's just like sort of frothing, like you know, population is out of control, like go extinct humans. Even though there are some uh, some passages that are sort of more in that direction. But so this is just on the next page. Um, 
the end of the world. One of the pranks played by anthropocentrism is to suggest that the end of our species will bring about the death of animal and vegetable nature, the end of the earth itself. The fall of the heavens, there, uh, the fall of the heavens. There is no eschatology that doesn't presume man's permanence is necessary to the permanence of everything else. It is accepted that things might have begun before us, unthinkable that they could ever end after us. And I think that's actually like a pretty salient point. And I think it's interesting that that even in sort of contemporary discourse about climate change though and and sort of you know human impacts on the environment the way people talk about it is never almost never in the language of the extinction of a species it's in the language of the end of the world which is you know ridiculous well i mean it feels like 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 didn't the anthropocene era recently come back into favor almost yeah like that's as a, like a term yep that's a that's an academic discourse i think and that's been sort of gaining for a few years now someone there was some scientific paper that used it and then everyone in the humanities started using it as as often happens as yeah so yeah the other another little like chunk uh on the 50 of the pdf is just at the very end is just come on you clever presumptuous fellows you make too much of yourselves the world has never been so alive as it is since a certain breed of bipeds disappeared it's never been so clean, so sparkling, so good humored, which again is anthropomorphizing nature in ways too that is often another other problem with like particularly ecofash kind of people is like cleanliness and just like you know it's like a very weird view of nature as something that's like fucking so beautiful and harmonious and whatever as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's another point I can't I can't find it at the moment where he refers to society as just a bad habit that humans have, <laughs> which I, it's uh, uh, you know a funny turn of phrase I thought. Right, and then he but then he like doesn't he like spin around and go like but habits are we have to like you know what I mean like again yep. the, the the book makes a point like that and then I, I think it's important that to note that like almost every time it does make a point like that either immediately or, or next chapter or whatever there's some sort of counter argument to kind of what he was saying before yeah yeah and again i think that there's and this gets back to sort of what i was saying earlier about those these these meta meta moments in the text where he's commenting on what he's doing as he's doing it i mean so on on 63 this is right sort of at the beginning of chapter 11 where there's that that triangle diagram map maybe that yeah, might help you find yeah. it in, the, in the i've PDF. seen that before i don't know what what the i've seen that before i mean it's just two triangles on top of each other well don't okay don't make me sound like an idiot <laughs> no i'm just saying I, <laughs> i'm just saying it doesn't i i don't know it didn't strike me as like super specific i think it was just like mortality on a or like bio okay yeah, uh, whatever. A biomass on a timeline or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that makes that makes sense because that's kind of what he's talking about uh, there. But um, anyway, this is this is right above that. Um, so he says, uh, "So Ducalion appears. Nothing illegitimate about that. I am the successor. Humanity was. Now I am. Incarnation of the epilogue. Outcome of the generations. The purpose. The destination. The journey's end." Is there a humor? This is in parentheses. Is there a humorous aspect to what I'm saying? Up to a point. The humor's fitting, if not altogether sincere. It's undercut by pride and melancholy. And I'm like, you're just talking about the book you're writing, also. 
Yeah, I have another one, which is just sort of more of just like a distillation of the character, but just like, it just goes, what for anyone else would be an ocean of negativity and utter horror is something I'm able to float on in a paper boat, a boat made of a few mediocre, at times ironic, general ideas, <laughs> which is kind of like yeah. his, main, his main fucking struggle. Yes, absolutely. Slash saving grace. It's, un, you know, it's intentionally not that clear. Yep. Um just one more, just because I found now as now trying to group together the places where I wrote that he's sort of engaging in this meta stuff. Um, this is right at the beginning of chapter eight on, on 41 in the physical copy. Uh, I, and, and I think this relates to something that she says in the, in the introduction, which is how about a lot of the sci-fi and speculative fiction of this sort of style and this, this era is like much more specifically engaged, like the late of heaven, like we were talking about, or, or some of the other things. Um, is, are, is much more sort of explicitly engaged in like social critique and like blah, 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 blah. Uh, so he says, this is just the beginning of chapter eight. I can think of numerous others of my professional tribe who even supposing they were able to imagine my present situation would say that it was unbelievable except as irony and farce that it could only work as a medium for social satire. <laughs> yeah, he's just talking about- <laughs> He's just talking about the writing of science fiction. Right, yeah. It's funny because it seemed like they, again, like there was an indication- uh, in some other thing, maybe it was again the fucking forward. Who knows? I, I read some other stuff too, but like that for whatever reason, since this is an Italian writer, like Italy didn't have a lot of apocalyptic fiction or, or the, the the just the the situation of an apocalypse was not something that the Italians in particular were doing a lot of in like the seventies. Which is just funny because it's like business was booming for that shit in the U.S. So it's like that era is almost entirely in my mind associated with like the that genre and the way that like the 80s would be for cyberpunk or something like it's I, I literally watched a boy and his dog like two days ago you know like so it's just funny that like he kind of maybe part of why the book didn't get picked up or anything is because they the italians were like what is it so crazy this is so crazy what are you doing there's no one left and it's like because they just didn't they never engaged with fucking apocalypse sorry but <laughs> With what? <laughs> With like uh, the notion of an apocalypse, or like it was just not popular. The closest, the closest the Italians ever got to an apocalyptic story was Streganona. <laughs> <laughs> what if too much spaghetti and we all drowned in it? Oh, spaghetti cover the earth. <laughs> Dude, I I love that story. And all the all the ocean turned to pasta sauce. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's their utopia. <laughs> True. <laughs> But as you know, utopia can often can too often switch oh, over to dystopia. Right, guys? Freaking <laughs> Aldous Huxley. <laughs> Which is sort of what happens here. It, it like in in the in the in the sense that like he's he's like, I'm a misanthrope. I can't I get moved to the force to get away from everybody. And then like you said, Matt, it kind of becomes hell for him in, in, in a different way when he's confronted with the actual reality of it. Which is funny because I think it's just I think he's very aware of like the notion of hell as other people mm -hmm. and just doing an inversion. There's also the inversion of suicide itself which is right. he tries to kill himself and he just ends up eliminating the the entire human population and only his himself survives yep which could be kind of like you mentioned paul the um uh, uh the leftovers which is like you know kind of like the the theory of that at the end spoilers cover your ears folks if you haven't seen it but i don't even know if this is true right but like that like just 
there's two parallel realities that swapped populations. Who's yep. to say that didn't happen? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and yeah. if you you can uncover your ears now. That's also always a weird thing to say because, like, unless you give someone a visual cue, how they how are they going to know when to uncover them? Like, for all they know, we could be talking about the leftovers for the next hour. But anyway, oh, good point. Very good point. Damn. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen the leftovers, you should. I think it's I, in my opinion, it's the best. I think it's the best TV show of the of the last twenty years. One of them for sure. It's it's, fu- it's well, incredible. My opinion is the same. I love that show. <laughs> Did you really hate this book that much? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, for me, I just I don't know. I I found very little meaning, or I don't know. I I just couldn't really connect with a lot of the ideas in it. So I, I just. It I don't know if they're by the wayside for me, but again, like I don't know, if it, like again, if if the meat, like the meaning, I don't know, like I don't know if there's really like a, a yeah, I don't think there's a clean takeaway. I think it's just a guy having to, you know an overeducated guy having to ref reckon with finally like the ultimate, <laughs> the the kind of ultimate realization of what he thought he wanted and believed yeah i think yeah i get that's kind of what i was trying to get at earlier is i don't think of this as a book about ideas so much as a book about like you know getting what you want and realizing you don't want it careful what you wish for right i think i was i was questioning like maybe this is a bad way to put it but i was questioning like (laughs) i was questioning we were making really why? funny faces for the, all the audio listeners, <laughs> which is everybody, because this is a podcast. <laughs> they were really funny, though, I promise. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Maybe this is a simp uh, standpoint, but I was just like, out of all the people that could have survived and lived to be the last person on Earth, why was it fucking this guy? This guy sucks. You got to. That's like, the whole point, though. That's his whole. That's what he doesn't understand that either. Also, Paul, we got to get simp straight with you. Yeah, what, what I don't that there's no way that's a simp. That's Do you know what simp. simp means? It's an acronym. Tell what us what mean? you think. No, tell us what you think first because it could be funny. I just think it means simple. No. No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I don't what give a that, shit. What does it what mean? A, what a simp. That was a very simp thing to say. I live it, in the woods. I don't give a shit. What does it mean? Uh, well, I'm everyone's a boom, on I'm home. a boomer. I'm a boomer. I don't, I don't it means care. someone idolizing mediocre pussy. It's when someone is oh, like okay. too much of well, like I'm... an OnlyFans contributor or that kind of bullshit. You get banned on okay, Twitch well... now for saying simp. Yeah, simp is banned on Twitch. You can't say it. Okay, well I'm I'm I meant to say simpleton. There you go. Which is which is what it should be. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I don't know. I, I I don't know. I didn't mean to realize thought. I don't remember what I was trying to say. It doesn't matter. I also think it's funny think in, in, in thinking about like we can we can talk we can delve more into our own personal vibes in a minute if we want. But I was think it's interesting at least to note that some of the like texts that he talks about don't don't exist. They are fake. They're they're you know the yeah. the, the, the title of the book 
Dissipatio HG is is a reference to a, a Latin, I think it's Latin, I don't know, Latin uh, text, Dissipatio uh, Humano gener Generis or whatever, like, yeah. um, which is supposedly written by Iamblichus, who was a real person, but this text is made up. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, I think that it's interesting that he sort of sprinkles in made up texts and stuff with all of the real ones which i don't know i found that interesting specifically the title text being being yeah. made up being made up i wonder if that is sort of relevant you know i think on a basic level it just makes him also just more of an unreliable narrator than you already probably presumed yeah that's a good point um just to keep you keep you dizzy you know while you're reading I have a couple spicy takes. Yeah. Okay. My first spicy take is that he sort of invents, not in. Okay. I don't know how many people have have been uh, has been claimed that they invented social media, but certainly there's something. Um, <laughs> Who? Uh, no, I'm saying I just feel like that's something that everyone says about like that. That's like a classic spicy take about some old fucking person or something. Like they actually like they invented social media in the fucking 1500s oh yeah yeah, or, yeah you know yeah. whatever uh but but i think that there's an interesting like um so this is on the, it's the beginning of chapter 12 for me it's on 66 67 well, i feel like i wrote a note that just said online and i wonder if it's near where you are okay i would be really curious um so this is where he's sort of thinking like he's talking about um his career as a journalist because that's what he was Yep, in, it is in, exactly where I wrote this. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, <laughs> okay. so he's, he's talking about his career as a journalist, which is what he was before the thing. And he's going on these, um, and this is interesting because he talks about a sort of zero population growth movement and that he was invited to talk on the radio show uh, for as well, which I'm basically just saying is like Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. Or Alex Jones, maybe. But so he says, this is toward the bottom of the page. Alex Jones would be deeply against that. That's true. Yeah. Um, I never had much luck in my few radio appearances. Recently, after I'd given up political journalism, I sat at a so-called roundtable where I was able to pose the following question. If the press aspires to represent public opinion as it claims to, why is it still monopolized by the journalist tribe? Not more than 150 people in this whole country, editors in chief and managing editors. Open up to the public. Professional journalists could be responsible for reporting the news and offering comments, and those two tasks would be plenty to justify their existence. The rest, the bulk of the paper, would collaborate with the users. Users, what a weird term to use in that in this era for the in this context. The rest, the bulk of the paper would collaborate with the users, the readers, a joint participation that would certainly be unregulated, discordant, and partial, but still the only way to give voice to an authentic public opinion. I'm like, that's like that is just the you like manifesto of like these social media companies and reddit and like all of that which i found to be fascinating right and we kind of it's funny to just know that that leads to just like fucking clamp down and try wishing for the opposite and claims of fake news <laughs> uh yeah i wrote the same thing i just wrote like online <laughs> morselli was very online uh, he would have been on parlor, let's face it. <laughs> Par parlor. <laughs> hey, you just take it. I love that everyone just still cleaves to the the like cliche of just like take a vowel out. 
of a word and you got yeah. yourself an app name. Well, baby. parlor left the E in, if I'm not mistaken. I thought it was parlor like grinder. I thought it was I like think parlor. The e, I, no, I'm pretty sure the E is actually there. Oh, damn. Well, it's the only place I can really go off. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm <laughs> just, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm just going to yell, Sasha, Matt's on parlor. <laughs> He's on parlor. He's on parlor. <laughs> Sashi's up parlor. It's a new dating app. <laughs> um, what would be worse if Matt was on Tumblr or uh, or Parlor? <laughs> anyone who's I don't okay I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm. What is Tumblr even for at this anymore? Like, there's yeah. a resurgence among the Gen Z. It's I is think. it. I had a it's, Tumblr it's coming back, back back in the day. I just I, like I, my only. Me inter- too. All uh, I know about Tumblr now is that it's like. I don't know. It took a gut punch with the porn thing, and I think it's just recovering. Okay, that was a long time ago, yeah. wasn't it? No, yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a really, I had ten thousand followers on Tumblr back in the day. I remember your Tumblr from then. Unique yeah, users. I, yeah, unique. <laughs> but I think now it 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 went from like the porn thing to the, the not porn thing to uh, Gen Zers trying to like kind of coming back to it. I think it's semi-popular still if you're on tumblr you need to start shipping us and writing fan fictions about our relationships we should be having gay sex having we should be have personas we should be animals we should have chibi anime (laughs) avatars (laughs) i want it all i want i want it all all the pervert shit, just start doing it. Yeah, I, honestly, <laughs> you, that'd be sick. If we got, if, if we, you want to ship us on Tumblr, that's like, I want Paul to eat, eat Gabe and there to be Vor shit with him be pregnant with Gabe. <laughs> if anyone wants to hear a steamy take right now, one time I was watching TV at went in high school with Gabe and his brothers, and Gabe oh and everyone was laughing the whole movie, and I was like, what is happening? And it turned out that gabe for about an hour was just uh holding his penis really close to my my body and i didn't know and i finally realized that is true you don't remember that no you were you were you're accusing me of sexual assault on the podcast (laughs) you were on the couch just holding your penis out and uh everyone was laughing the whole time and i was like this movie isn't that funny why is everyone laughing there's and, no uh, way i did it for an hour that's gotta there's no way that's gotta be an embellishment at least i mean yeah okay oh that's probably it's, not true it's like dr but... Zhivago. <laughs> <laughs> we were just watching andy warhol's empire state building movie <laughs> I think we were watching like Koyanis Katsi, actually. That crosses the line into performance <laughs> art itself. True, true, true. Oh my god. Oh, yeah, god. I don't remember I mean, to that. Be, and I apologize if that traumatized you I or mean, any of the listeners. A, <laughs> I mean, just to be honest, it was very traumatizing, but also very funny. <laughs> so it's it's okay. They cancel they cancel each other out. Well, they? this is this is the kind of thing you would be ruminating over if you were the last man on earth. Yeah, exactly. You'd be wandering like, you know, the you know, the, the valleys of Vermont or something, just like being like, What did it mean? <laughs> it was so close to me for an hour. What did it even mean? You're right. <laughs> well, okay, speaking speaking of my other spicy would- take. <laughs> <laughs> 
it is, never happened. Well, you don't know. Maybe you will be the last man, and then you'll be glad you read this book. Right. <laughs> to to know that it also was shitty for that other guy. <laughs> um, but speaking of shipping us in in homoerotic <laughs> relationships, my other spicy take, and this is very spicy, and I don't know how committed to it I am, but it did cross my mind when I was reading it a few a few different times is that this book is also about being in the closet because I think that the narrator certainly has like, you know, develops some sort of strange romantic, pseudo romantic attachment to Karpinski or the idea of Karpinski in the um, story, especially towards the end. And then there's just a bunch of other little things. Like Paul, you mentioned the bit about him kind of like realizing he likes to wear women's clothing. And like that probably had a whole nother valence in the early seventies in Italy. Um, That's true. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I think that like, I maybe have been, and I don't have like any like uh, slam dunk textual support for this (laughs) theory, but it just, I just got the feeling when he's talking about Karpinski, especially towards the end, that it, it it was developing into this sort of romantic relationship. And even in some of his memories that he describes, it I was sort of like, it almost felt like they were sleeping together or that Karpinski was going to confess his love to him at some point. Um, yeah, that, I mean, to me, that makes the, the story more rich. It, it makes it more sad, even though I'm just, I, I mean, if it was written today, I'd be like, who who gives a fuck? uh fuck whoever you want but back then if he was just like a a closeted guy who was like struggling with his own sexuality even as the author maybe maybe he was too then that makes the whole thing a little more tragic for sure but when i was reading it as someone in 2021 i was just like all right maybe i would try in women's clothing too i don't give a fuck um so yeah that's why i think it might be relevant like to think like yeah when it was written that might mean a very different thing or be be taken yeah yeah i think definitely like back it was written in 1973 so and again italy italy (laughs) italy yeah yeah definitely i think that he was probably struggling with something um but you know i'm reading it from my my own point of view now and i was just like i i just didn't even delve too deeply into it maybe i should have but at that point i was kind of checked out already so okay but, uh... let me let me just let me <laughs> like let me let me do an experiment let me just read the ending of the book after having said this and and listen to it and think about it with that interpretation in mind okay okay um so this is the last sort of page roughly of the book last last half page so spoilers um i have no hope <laughs> great okay uh, <laughs> Nonetheless, I've come to Chrysopolis to see him, my first conscious meeting with him, and I sense that I will. See him, real and present, upright in his white coat, blood stains on the chest where they knifed him, arms open, but head lowered as when, leaning against the window in my room, he would listen to me, his trousers rumpled beneath his doctor's coat. He won't speak. It will be pointless to ask him, as I once did in the clinic, are you still keeping me here? Haven't I recovered? He won't come to respond to my uncertainties or to announce anything. He'll be the modest, simple person of back then. He'll simply come to look for me, and he's already on his way. This is certainly not an expectation on my part, and it frees me from all impatience. So I sit here on a bench along the boulevard, looking at the life that's unfolding before my eyes in this strange eternity. 
The air shines with a dense humidity. Rainwater runs off in rivulets. The sewers in the old city must be blocked that flow together onto the street and deposit day by day a thin layer of soil on the asphalt. It's not much more than a veil of earth, and yet something green is growing in it. Not the usual city grass, but wild plants. The market of markets will one day be countryside with buttercups and chicory and flour. In my pocket, I'm keeping a pack of galwazes for him, which that was his favorite cigarette brand. So that's how the book ends. And I, I think like... That's more compelling freaking, than anything. It's pretty gay. Is that what you're trying to say? It's pretty gay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind uh, of, yeah. I think I, I, that's the sort of vibe I got that there was some, some kind of, and I think if you think about the whole story of this person being like just desperately alone with no, no outlet, no way to make sense of anything. I think it's interesting to think, re, think of and, it as the sort of like, yeah. And also just pretty perfunctory relationships with women. Yes. Yeah. Don't, don't really care right. too much. Right. I think there's a big old question mark over that. I, I I don't I don't know if I'm dedicated to that take either. But no, I, I, it was just my yeah. But I mean, definitely like, I mean, I think it's undeniable that there's like love for Karpinski. Which I think it's a whole. There's a whole nother sort of question to be asked about like the the patients patient yeah doctor. exactly <laughs> patient psychiatrist relationship and the attachments that get formed there, which goes back to the lathe of heaven with, that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few weeks ago yeah yeah because yeah i'm, like I'm not even um, uh i'm i was gonna say i'm not even that gay but I, I mean if i was the last man on earth i might think about ryan gosling in the same way ryan <laughs> hello ryan <laughs> ryan you just carry what what do you think ryan got what would you carry in your pocket for ryan if in case you ever met him after the world ended my copy so? of uh Blade Runner is 2049 on Blu-ray. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Blu-ray. I want there to be a guy named Blu-ray. You somehow have it on VHS <laughs> to impress Ryan Gosling. Yeah, it's retrofuturist. Oh my god. Um yeah, I I think th- like I don't know why I want to read this. This is you kind of put a nice button on it, but uh, just this little thing from 56. It's just, on the whole, the wish to materially possess a thing or a person conceals an intention to free oneself of them and move on to something else. What we have possessed, we can put behind us, put in the past, the already done. And like, that's in reference to Henrietta or, uh, and these people. And like, again, I, it took me a minute to even realize that um, Karpinski or Karpinski had been killed. Um which you know is stabbed. i think what stabbed yeah which i think is what like allowed him to be the most living being in his memory weirdly enough like the people that actually died are way more real than these people that you know to quote the book dissipated and without a without any sort of causal there's nothing you can do to like kind of deduce what that would be yeah well that, that, I, that makes sense to me because it's like he isn't he's not even sure if these people died like a lot like the leftovers mm-hmm. like you're no one's not even sure if they, they if they died or if they're in a different place or whatever so like yeah that makes sense to me yeah and that's why he he sort of at the beginning is so you know is able to keep up with this quest that we sort of slowly realize is futile 
to like, well, I don't know that they're dead. <laughs> I just don't know that there's no one like a- around me right now. I mean, at one point he goes to see, you know, I, I think it was like an ex-girlfriend, not Henrietta, someone else. And he's looking at her bed, sort of being like, she was here. There's the impression of her head on the pillow and the blankets are arranged in a certain way. And he just says, um, he says, this is not a deathbed. And uh, sort of is talking about, you know, the distinction between sort of unlife and 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 death. Exactly. Like, again, something that one has contended with you know throughout all of humanity and that there is a lot of i think significantly like literature on and just cultural uh ritual around and all this kind of stuff versus yeah the unexplainable which is like the 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 point you know like kind of kind of like the thing that you're supposed to do which is like what how do you react in the face of an absolute mystery yeah i i yeah i actually think that that part too i i just found it is actually kind of creepy um and I'm just going to read this paragraph now because I like it and it's creepy. Nice. Um, So this woman's name is Tutti that he was looking for uh, or going to her house. Now I climb the stairs slowly. I know she'll be there, slight, blonde, quiet as ever. I turn on the light at the doorway and she is there in some ways there in the mark of her head on the pillow and on the still made bed covers neatly tucked in the slight weight of her body visible. I sit down near the bed near my poor Tutti the little woman, not my first love. I was already an expert in falling in love. Uh, of, the, of my first climax, to whom I sacrificed sacrificed aggressively my 15-year-old virginity. She, older, old and not beautiful in my eyes, was in love, although she was not more expert at it than I. My lust, without intimacy, the speed which was, with which I was satisfied, wounded her deeply. This I knew. I was aware of it and pleased, and she, aware and not pleased to see me again, me so colorless, so changed, does not let herself be seen. This is not a deathbed. And soon I'll stretch out on it familiarly and will sleep a delicious long sleep, making up for that night wasted at the airport, foolishly waiting. Tutti isn't dead. So I, I just think that was an interesting sort of, that's a kind of an early passage. So it's just him sort of come, trying to come to grips with like what this means. Yeah, And I think there's a lot there about like memory um, uh, as well that's suggested. And then like, I, I forget where it was, but just some, a notion of like he just says a uh, radical pessimism is much like optimism and there's this kind of sense of a i don't know i don't know if this is horseshoe theory i don't i never really i don't you know took what the that words is. out of my mouth fuck okay so that's right like yeah like you just kind of like end up where you departed it but like with a kind of different spin on it basically um yeah and that's kind of what it, it feels like the, the, the closest you get to a bit of closure here right like He's gonna. He's got this ghost in his head that he's gonna wait for as though they were existed. He's kind of like come to terms with some of the like dumb, you know, kind of stuff that he was just letting rattle around in his head, uh, and he's losing. He's 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 losing certain uh, uh, delusions potentially about yeah. his situation. Yeah, I think that's right. Which is what you try and do personally anyway, even without a you know the entire population disappearing right (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah so anything else uh now i'm scrolling through just looking at some of my highlights i think uh i think 
there's nothing overly pressing. So we so we've j- joked about it a few times, but I do want to say that I this book to me felt basically like a sequel to Eumesville. I really do think that like that book is is a similar sort of like theory fiction, whatever, like a lot of philosophical philosophical ideas bopping around, specifically about the individual and like subjectivity and the ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that book, the main character whose name I forget, he is named in that book, right? Yeah, I'm also yeah. forgetting. Yeah. Anyway, um, one of his fantasies or plans is to escape his life and run away and live alone in the forest, which is what this guy does. And then it sort of picks up after that. So this is this is Oomsville Part Two and or Tombsville. Although I will push back and say that like <laughs> Gabe just wanted to say the pun, but <laughs> Tombsville. Tombsville or Yumsville DLC. Uh but like <laughs> I I'm gonna push back just a bit just because like uh uh I think this character is arriving at conclusions that I believe I, I'm pretty sure the character, the Anarch in Yumesville has probably already more like rigorously arrived at. I'm just going to say that. I think he's got a more fully formed notion of like the self and like he, he wouldn't be as depressive and kind of volatile. That's possible. I think you're right. I think they have a different temper- temperaments. Once we get to the house sorting, we'll, Discover that for sure, because the, the the main character in Yumsville was definitely Slytherin, right? Yeah. I forget what we came down. I forget what we came. <laughs> we, I, we should be we should be recording this, uh, but I guess we are recording it. But I mean, like, we don't know what we did for the the earlier books. I think he was a Slytherin. But... Well, let's get into it then. Yeah, let's do it for this one. Because get ready. You're uh you're a reader harry i think i said i think i said that before but yeah you think you did all right all right that's the last time i get to do that i gotta think of a new one um no i like it the segment is we just did read another book so you can't be mad and we're about to sort them in the schools harry potter (laughs) house sorting Okay. So uh, there aren't that, there's really like what, like two for this one? There's like two. This one's easy. Yeah. Because there's uh, The Last Man on Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's his ideas. Yeah, basically, that's it. So uh, what What do we got? What, who, what house is he in? This guy, this last guy. This I think is I have not- to go last because it's my it's my pick. I go yeah. last. Well, right? yeah. I, I don't know if we score, I don't know but... if we make that's the scores, but this one doesn't matter okay. as much. Uh fuck. I'm actually having a tough time. Yeah, this is a weird one. I think he's like straight up Ravenclaw. I was gonna me. say Ravenclaw is my first instinct. I think um, he's a strong I think he's a strong Ravenclaw. I can't I can't put him in any other any other house actually yeah that's that's what i was trying to go through sort of doing like a process of elimination like he he's definitely not a hufflepuff i don't think um no No, i mean he's like he's like smart analytical he's he he took acid at one point which is very ravenclaw i think yeah it's very art school ravenclaw i think it's like (laughs) i think he's uh a true ravenclaw last man on earth ravenclaw for sure yeah, I, I think I think I'm gonna go Ravenclaw. A pretty. roving, a roving brain, essentially. Mm-hmm. The brain in a not the brain, not in a vat, and not in a vat. 
the other classic like the other <laughs> yeah I'll, you know what i agree i agree uh yeah okay so that's three ravenclaws that's pretty strong unanimous unanimous uh unanimous who i, mean, I, I who think the only, really... i think i think the only other one we could possibly talk about is karpinski but it's all just descriptions of him from the main character so it's like obviously tenuous yeah when and especially would, like when I, he was crazy i would say i would say karpinski is a hufflepuff though because he because he's doesn't he like really help the main gryffindor. character and oh okay maybe gryffindor I'm going gryffindor all right well, okay why well he also see first of all he got in between a fight that's how he died and was killed that's true Bra- brave also he seemed to be part of it seems to be hinted at that he's like doesn't talk about but is involved in other social causes like potentially um, like dissident political groups yeah you're right yes yes and it's just he seems very involved in a lot of things that require a bit of bravery and kind of putting yourself on the line damn okay sold gryffindor that's a, that was yeah, a strong strong case <laughs> yeah gryffindor damn double unanimous that's very i wonder if that's ever happened I and mean, it's obviously it's more likely because there's only a couple characters but but still that was probably the 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 smoothest it's ever gone yeah <laughs> Um, okay well what did you guys think of this book like in terms of giving it a number score which is the other thing we do at the end of every show (laughs) (laughs) welcome uh well let me read my uh i i wrote i wrote some notes when i finished the book let me just read them real quick okay fuck fuck yeah yeah notes they were they were spur of the moment, and I just uh, let me just read them. I wrote in my terrible handwriting. I wrote "Strength of Fiction," "Dirty Snow," "Moon Palace." Writing from the point of view of experience rather than writing in philosophical terms can evoke a different kind of emotional understanding that can be more powerful than uh, baseline analytics and philosophy. That was my th- those are my final thoughts. Um, and my, my general view is that like, like dirty snow brought up philosophical, philosophical views and like social views within a story without having to resort to actually like pulling out name drops or just resorting to like, I'm, 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 uh, deciphering or depicting this moment with this philosophical moment that i read in this book so i find it to i found it to be like a little anti-fiction like fiction should evoke those those thoughts and those ideas within a story and that's what i like about fiction and i thought that this book was like pushing more of the philosophical tendencies and arguments over the story so that lacks in what I think about fiction as a whole. I think that I think that it should encompass you in a story and invoke ideas that are related to your environment and your society within a story. And I, I, I feel like this this book was like kind of doing the opposite. It was trying to like soft fiction. I know you it was soft fiction. It was it was trying to like hit you over the head with philosophical ideas 
while having a story in the background, which I, I just don't like when I'm reading a fiction book. So, Matt, yeah. what'd you think? Um, I thought the book was, uh, was like pretty good. Um, I kind of get what you're saying, Paul. Uh, what I would have liked a bit, not that, you know, I don't know how helpful critiquing in this way is, but just like, um, if it could have been beefed, beefed up with a little more weaving of, uh, some of the personal life things that he brings up just a little bit more of that to not necessarily create again, a kind of biography from which I think the fear was that like too much biography lends itself to uh, something he was overtly critical of in the text, which is psychoanalyzation. And like, a, a, I, I get the impression that this person, like Marcelli was like, yeah, he was trying to be more of, of a brain about it and avoid uh, almost like the author is dead, but the uh, but the, the fictional character is dead, <laughs> you know, which I guess is kind of true of, of theory fiction a lot of the time or, you know, um, other other things that whose concerns are more about just like what would you I don't uh, I'm having a hard, I'm having a tough time with this one but it's kind of why I like it it's kind of like I uh I don't know I'll give it I'll give it a 3.67 uh I thought it did a good job at the very least of um kind of like exemplifying a type of person who has over intellectualized a, a, a their 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 stance on the world and a viewpoint and and you kind of watch them flounder with that and 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 have to learn uh the contradictions and weaknesses of their entire world system kind of like in a speed run uh and i think it kind of it shows that really well through you know a fun thing a fun conceit that that predates the leftovers and was unique especially for i guess the time and the country fun i yeah. would i would de i would denounce the word fun there but i just i really feel like you hate the name <laughs> drop and i think i would say morselli does too yeah I, I i would say that he's probably more on your side your side of things than you think yep and your kind of distaste for that well, is, is well i mean Wait, okay Paul, hold a... on you'll have your you'll have your last last okay. say it's your well, book i want i wanted to respond to what matt just said real quick yeah because there was a line early on that where he said that like he was quoting philosophy or something and he just basically said that like in parentheses like i don't generally like philosophy and i do you remember that line and i was like what the fuck do you mean by that because this whole book is philosophy and i i it was it goes back to your meta point gabe of just like he was definitely thinking about that but even if he was thinking about that it's still within it and i don't like it <laughs> oh i have so, i've I, th I thought of one more thing because Paul, you, uh, I won't say which one, but uh, a Huelbeck book is on the horizon, folks, and get get ready. But um, I've read, okay. I've read probably, I've read that the one we're about to read, and I and I like it. And uh, there's a oh, few others. Why and, didn't uh, you say? Okay, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, why didn't you say that? I want to, I want to read it again. Um, but like, it, there's there's uh, some echoes of that. And I'm excited to see if you guys in the far future agree with me that that's true. But like uh, a missing, a kind of misanthrope character, 
with concerns of societal and cultural degradation and stuff like that. I think that's very similar. Yeah, that's a good, I think that very like European, like European, like I feel like Italians and stuff like the French, you know, that they're like sitting in their touristified Rome and they're just like, damn, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) How did we get that? There goes the neighborhood, except it's on like the civilizational scale. Exactly. Um, Yeah. I'm excited to read that book. Um, uh, I don't want to talk about it much more, but anyway, sorry. Um, that's no, no, no. Well, I, yeah, sports, uh, enticing the listener. That was the teasing. first time we did that. That was the first time we, we teased the next book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little beckoning hand. Yeah. Well, it's not the next one. It's like, it's actually in quite a few. Yeah. It's, it's a little, but yeah, it's, it's, it's down the, it's down the road. It's not, it's, it's, it's coming. It's in the pipeline coming down the pike. Um, other metaphors the phrases for things that are on the way mm-hmm. but paul your score please wait i didn't i didn't even go yet oh i gave thought it, well, i'm so go. sorry wow no go. one cares i um. care i i totally <laughs> i care i totally understood that you were next i go last anyway i uh, uh i enjoyed it i actually think again i'm just gonna say kind of like i said at the beginning i i think you're um kind of off base paul about this being a philosophy heavy text i i I think it's not i think it's a character study of a guy who uses philosophy as a tool in this fucking crazy situation um but it's more scattershot and sort of uh, it's a character study of a guy thinking through his situation more than anything else and i thought it was good as that i uh um I, I think the score I'm going to give it is a little bit higher than I want to, but it's because I went back and looked at my Unsville score and I liked this better than that book. And so I have to give it a higher score. Otherwise I'm a, I'm, I'm an inconsistent uh, freak and I deserve to be put to death. <laughs> um, so yeah, God forbid. So I'm going to, so I'm going to give it a, I give Unsville a 3.7 and I'm going to give this then a 3.81. Oh shit! Nice, and now you're consistent, and you're flawless still. Yes, flawless, <laughs> flawless, baby. All right, Paul. Well, get well, get ready for uh, uh, basically a, a medium score drop because <laughs> I I have to say that I I respect Hume's will more than this book. I think that uh, what's whatever the fucking author's name is Ernst Younger Younger. Yeah. I think that he had a better grasp of what he was trying to do. Um, so I have to give him a better score. Or I have to, yeah, I have to give Usual a better score than this book. <laughs> I just, I didn't enjoy reading it from, from probably like page 30 on. I hated it. I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to rip my eyeballs out of my, out of my head. Oh my God. And, sho- and shove them up my anus hole. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I think I gave Usual a 1.9, so I have to give this one a, a 1.87. I would recommend no one in my life to read this book. I thought it was boring as shit, and I picked it. It was my pick, and I hated it. Uh, but it, that's 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 what you get from from just an off an off the shelf pick. Sometimes you just like. I mean, I will say that it was like even though I, I rip on Yumeswill and, and a book like this a lot, like it's just not my cup of tea. I think that a lot of our listeners might actually really enjoy this book. 
I just uh, it it lacked a lot of the things that I like. For you, it's more like a you cup know? of pee. Yeah, yeah it's a cup. Still it's hot, a cup but... of. It's a cup of elephant piss. I mean, it was hot elephant piss to me. Well, no, I'd say cat piss is probably the worst type of piss. Yeah, it smells so bad. Yeah. If you were going to drink some. Well, I've never smelled. I've never smelled at like a lot of animal pee. So you have a cat. Know. You have a lot of cats. Yeah, but it's I haven't the one smelled now. I oh, I just feel right. like I just feel like ele- elephant sad. piss probably smells really bad. That's probably there's it. a probably lot does. of it. Yeah, you it have to drink does. you you have to drink the amount of piss that an elephant has in one sitting, which is probably a lot. That's true. Yeah, so I I would say that like <laughs> you, humans will is drinking like an elephant an elephant piss like the whole thing, and this was like a hippopotamus. Okay, cool. Yeah, tight, yeah. Tight. Well, everyone's consistent with it. Yeah. That's good. Yep, yep. We that's a that's a beautiful thing, and um. We'll we'll be back again with another book next week and after that for into eternity. No doubt, dude. To our lovely listeners. We love you. You're very special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a storm is coming. No, no. No, <laughs> no I'm not going out like that. <laughs> I am not letting us go out like that. Agents in cage. <laughs> uh, no, I'm if, sorry. If you were, if you, I will say though, if you're one of our listeners and you work QAnon, you have my sympathies because, man, y'all whiffed big time. Yeah. <laughs> you guys really fucking biffed it. Yeah. You're Antifa now, baby. <laughs> that, that was a strike one and you're out. Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> a, per, it's like a permadeath game, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. It, well, QAnon was basically just playing Darkest Dungeon for the last four years. And God, then fuck just, that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, and 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 we love you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, and so we're much. in love with you. And we're- <laughs> your spine has been cracked. I love. You.